This podcast episode is brought to you by Paleo Valley's Organic Extra Virgin Olive Oil. Now, we all know that many olive oils are cut with seed oils or that they are rancid, and so it's not always easiest to find a quality and properly sourced olive oil. Yes, in case you didn't know, many store bought olive oils are diluted or blended, compromising both taste and quality, and may even cause rancidity. I'm really glad that Paleo Valley's extra virgin olive oil remains pure and unadulterated, sourced from a single organic valley in Greece. Paleo Valley ensures freshness and nutrient content by packaging their olive oil in dark glass bottles. At a certain point, I stopped using extra virgin olive oil, but once our practice started working with people with chronic inflammatory response syndrome or SIRS, we started recommending it for the reduction of TGF beta 1. It is an immune system marker that shows inflammation both for COVID 19, SIRS, and actually many other illnesses. So if your TGF beta 1 is high, you may want to try incorporating a little bit of extra virgin olive oil. Make sure to check it out. It comes in a two pack package. And remember, All Paleo Valley products are guaranteed with a money back guarantee. Go to paleovalley.com slash nwj to get 15% off your order. Thanks for supporting companies that support this podcast. Hey guys, it's Judy from Nutrition with Judy. Thanks for joining me today. My name is Judy Cho, and I am a nutritional therapy practitioner. I work with clients to get to root cause healing, and oftentimes that is using a meat based elimination diet for gut healing. Today, I have the pleasure of sitting down with Bart K. Bart K is a carnivore diet advocate and a former senior lecturer in cardiovascular physiology, exercise physiology, and human nutrition. He's also an expert in research design and statistics. And on his YouTube channel, he often talks about reputable nutrition advice, common myths, and carnivore claims in the community on his colorful YouTube channels. I wanted to have Bart K on my channel because, first of all, it was requested several times, but he's a great place to learn a lot more about the science and nutrition of the human body. Let's get into the conversation. Hi, Bart. So thank you so much for joining me today.、Uh, you are in high demand by a lot of my、uh, listeners and followers. So I'm finally excited to have a chat with you. If you don't mind introducing yourself to the people that don't know you,、um, and just tell a little bit about who you are. Sure. First of all,、um, thank you very much for the invite, Judy. I appreciate it very much. It's always a pleasure to come and have a chat to even relatively like minded people around the place. Um, for those that don't know me, who am I these days? I'm a bloke that runs a series of YouTube channels, to be fair, where largely I make videos where I'm critiquing people who want to provide narrative other than what I see as the correct narrative on given questions of science, physiology, human nutrition, exercise, the kind of things that I have a background in. And so I'm kind of known there to be a bit of a, a character actor. There are several different characters you'll see over there. And I'm also known to be very, very abrasive. That's kind of my calling card, if you like. It's the way I do things. It gets clicks, it works for me, whatever. <laughs> so that's what I do. Prior to that situation, I was a senior research and lecturing academic for. A quarter of a century. 
frightening, really. Um, at various universities, both here in the underside of the world and up on the other side as well. Um, and so I had a career researching physiology, exercise performance, aspects of nutrition, um, largely human performance based at the elite end, elite sporting populations, for example, elite military organisations, that kind of stuff. And saw fit not to be an academic anymore at the end of the 2018 academic year. And since then, yeah, I've been this crazy character on the YouTubes. So that's kind of a bit about my background. Um, my, my YouTube channel is, is um, branded as the nutrition science watchdog, uh, which basically means people come online and make videos about what they think nutrition science is or what they think exercise science is. And I comment say this is you know where it's not quite right i think so there you go long answer to a simple question but that's pretty much who i am these days and and i appreciate people like yourself that you know just talk about nutrition and make a stance where you may not agree or disagree with other people and you use science to back it up and i think that's very helpful information so um, i watched a few of your videos just curious to see what your videos are about and they are quite entertaining so thank you for that so my first question is about exercise. I know there's a lot of, I guess, professionals and exercise gurus that, you know, will talk about exercise for people that want to perform or want to showcase their muscles, but for the lay person that just wants to be healthy and, uh, and maybe we need to split it up for man versus our male versus female, but is there a type of exercise you would recommend for just longevity you know, I don't want to get really bulky, but I'm starting to lift more weights for to preserve my muscle mass, but I don't want to get really big. So, I mean, what would you recommend for someone like me or just a lay person for health rather than getting super buff? Yeah, cool. So a fairly general question. I understand the necessity for questions to be quite general in a format like this. As a professional exercise physiologist, first and foremost, with every client, I would always start with a discussion around what is a needs analysis for that client. What do you do in your life? What fitness do you require? What is it that you're doing? Um, and I would always build from there and provide very tailored, very individualized um I guess, advice for individual clients. In terms of as an answer to your general question, my general bent is always that exercise intervention should be at the high end of the intensity spectrum and the low end of the exposure spectrum. In other words, short, sharp, get it done, get it finished, get out of here, get on with your life. Typically, people who exercise and who take on programmed exercise tend to overdo it in terms of their volume, and they tend to vastly underdo it in terms of their intensity. And as such, they're not really training or getting exercise benefit. What they're doing is undertaking incidental exercise with not any necessary benefit to look forward to long-term from doing it. Um, so in general, more intensity, less volume. And if it's not working, then more intensity and less volume again, not the opposite of that, which is what most people who are exercising will do. 
they'll go, it's not working, I need to do more of it, and it still doesn't work. And so therefore, they solve that problem by doing still more of what wasn't working in the first place. So, yeah. And would you say it's the same for male or female? Yep. I mean, at the base level, there are obviously some differences. I'm sorry to tell you this. There are some differences between boys and girls. Boys and girls, we are different creatures. But largely, what we're talking about here is kinetic chains, various muscles. Um, sure, the female hip angle is different, typically. Um, you know, that kind of thing. But we're just talking about the mechanics of how a body moves from the from the ground up when you're doing an analysis intensity comes into all of that and that's relative so it it sort of automatically adjusts for for gender differences in that respect anyway um to all intents and purposes i I would pretty much treat an exercise client as equivalent being a person of that body mass stature body type whatever and i would probably see all of those aspects before i saw that person's gender at all as an issue um, obviously there absolutely are gender issues that people can develop and can, you know, uh, affect how someone will respond to the exercise training. Again, though, it comes back to individualized programming and personal attention and all that kind of stuff, um, probably beyond the scope of a generalized discussion, but there you go. Do you prioritize, um, I guess, strength training versus cardio do you do you think there's a exercise we need to prioritize? Yes, yeah, I tend to stick around and and uh, suggest that others stick around. The resistance training, whether that be weights, resistance bands, whether that be moving in water, whatever the resistance is, that you have an added resistance and that you're working against that resistance at a high. Um, strength intensity um, for a, a, a period of time that depends on what that intensity is. There's an inverse relationship, uh, but but train yourself to pretty much to exhaustion, um, rest, recover for several days, and repeat as a program of training. And I steer people absolutely away from typically what people will call cardio, long lasting, slow, rhythmic muscle contractions, running jogging, some people will call that, Um, high-intensity walking even, rowing, cycling, all those kind of things. That's all incidental exercise, and fine, that's for another day, but if you want to call that exercise training at at a very low intensity, you're kidding yourself. Exercise training is an injury to your body imposed by pushing your body close to its current performance limit. And the fitness that you accrue over time is your body repairing itself from that injury just slightly better and stronger than it was before you injured it by pushing it so hard. If you never push, you never injure. If you never injure, you never train. It's called training plateau. That's what a lot of athletes will experience in their careers. And it's usually what ends their careers as athletes because the drudgery of it at some point becomes too much. The hours and hours and hours of slogging doing this completely mindless contraindicated activity, actually. Um, I do quite a lot on my channel about this on how it's actually that kind of aerobic stuff is what they call it. That kind of cardio 
is really, really bad for your health long term. You absolutely should stay away from that stuff. Get at it. Resistance bands, weights, whatever it is, get some resistance training into your life. It's it's high. Uh, it doesn't have to be high impact, but it's high intensity. It's it's wear yourself out quickly with stuff that's close to your current strength capacity. It's yeah, and none of that other stuff. So sometimes I use an, a machine that's like cardio. And then while I get tired, I just feel better. The endorphins feel like they're releasing. Still mm-hmm. think it's a bad idea. Not ideal. Hey guys, just to let you know, my carnivore cure book is back in stock for nine months. It was out of print and used prices were up to $300. Make sure to get your copy today that has over 200 colored tables and graphics and over 400 pages of meaty goodness. We have a limited supply, so get your copy today on Amazon.com. And if you can leave a review, I'd be super grateful. Um, are you talking about like as a warm down or something there, Judy? Or Sometimes I'll just go to the gym and maybe I'll run like a mile or two, or maybe I'll get on the right. elliptical yeah. and just use it for 20 minutes. And, right. Got you it. know, I just feel good right after. Okay. Yep. So that's <laughs> incidental ex- exercise. So half an hour, 45 minutes, two or three times a week of some very sub-maximal intensity work of the kind you're talking about there. That's fine in someone's week. Okay. That's not overdoing it in my mind. Overdoing it is when you train for hours and hours every day of the week with very few rest breaks, if any. Okay. And sometimes the, the illness gets to the points where these people start training twice and three times a day. Um, and then they become professional athletes. <sighs> yeah. Okay. Or not. Okay. Or not. Yep. <laughs> so um, you've got this huge population of sub-elite athletes who are never going to be professional athletes who nonetheless are living that sort of training lifestyle, spending that many hours a week plugging away at this thinking, well, the reason that they haven't made it yet is just because they haven't done enough training yet. Mm. No, sorry, people. Yeah. Yeah. In um, my carnivore cure book, I talk about how um, there's studies done where people that are ultra marathoners. And I know there's a carnivore that was an ultra marathoner or he eats carnivore, but in general, the, that type of high intensity, like um, CrossFit training, is just not good for the endocrine system. And even for your immune system, I believe that there's a tendency where if you've run marathons, there's a high chance you could get a cold after because your immune system was so overworked during that time. So I can see yeah. what you're saying. And I've always agreed with that. But there are a pool of people that love doing CrossFit and they love that exercise and that constant endorphin hit. So yeah, and you're not gonna you're not gonna change those people's minds because those people are gonna do that. And I mean, CrossFitters are like vegans, aren't they? They have to tell you they're a CrossFitter within 30 seconds, or they will explode. Um, so you know they're excited about it. They think CrossFit is the greatest thing since sliced bread, um, and they will evangelize the world. Uh, fine, go to uh, that. You know, the people I'm talking to are the people that want to know whether this is a good idea or not. And the answer for you people is no. I'm sorry, it's not. Okay. Fair enough. You know, so while we're talking about things that are trendy, I guess, you know, carnivore has been kind of popular. Maybe it's um, a little bit on the downswing, but it's been popular for the past several years. There were a pool of people that came in that 
were on the leaner side, uh, worked out a lot. I don't know if they were CrossFitters, but they worked out a lot. And so they were very lean. They probably ate less fat than the um, higher fat carnivores. And they also ate a lot of organ meats. And then a lot of these people, if you saw over time, they just were like carnivore doesn't work. And then they just left. And if you take all of them and collect them, they're all kind of similar. And I just was curious, since you do a lot of this research, you know, what, what are your thoughts on why it didn't work for these people? And I know it can be a little bit of extrapolation, but just wanted to know your thoughts. Yeah. Uh, for, for maximum flippancy, I could say, well, they never really were carnivores. They did it wrong. And uh, now we're going to publicly shame and point at them and laugh because they did it wrong. Um, that's just a little um, commentary on how vegans handle that one. Right. Anyway, um, the sensible answer is that I think you've hit the nail on the head several times in the question itself. For me, if you are attempting to eat an animal-only diet, and your intake of animal fat is not a large proportion of that, more than half of it, well more than half of it, right. you are likely to going to put yourself in a position where you, you're going to be more likely to express certain issues, certain problems. Um, now, you, you kind of alluded, without naming any names, you kind of alluded to one or two well-known personalities and how they've been going. Um which is, which is fine. Um, there was one bloke that was running around and his catch line was nose to tail, nose to tail, full of carnivore, nose to tail, you got to eat your organs, he said, all this kind of stuff. And then 18 months later than that, he's kind of softened it down to, well, maybe it's not so bad if you have some honey now and then. And now that same bloke is saying, oh, no, it was terrible for me, that carnivore thing. Uh, I had to, now I have to eat 100 grams of carbohydrates a day just to stay, to stay well, he says. Um, he's wrong. He's completely wrong. And we can get to that later if, if, if it comes up. And then I, I guess the other the other bloke you might be talking about is is the one that now has also gone the way of the fruit and, and all of that sort of stuff, and, and but who still has his free-range meats business, that that bloke. Um, I, there, I think there's that guy, more. There's more. Are you, but yeah. are you sure? I mean, do you know? there, there are heaps of them. There are one or two people who have kind of floated through the carnival lifestyle, gone out the other end. Largely, the issue is they lose their, in my mind, anyway, this is my opinion, they lose their individual battle with their addiction to those carbohydrate-laden, endorphin-laden, uh, Randall cycle-activating problem foods and food combinations that people that people are attracted to in modern societies I, th I think the biggest problem is is what is the way people are eating unfortunately the, the information that's being shared with people about how best to eat is all over the place because of the lack of any decent science to underpin any of these theologies which are really i guess is the point of my channel um but yeah largely these guys have 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 gone out the other end of carnivore and are now doing a some kind of pseudo carnivore or, or nearly carnivore diet or something where typically they want to add some sugar. Several of them blame that without carbohydrates, your insulin drops too low. Um, yeah. It stresses the cells and that, and then you're totally damaging your thyroid. And so without thyroid health, then there's your metabolism and your metabolic mm -hmm. health. And so you need sugar 
just like meat is, has been demonized. Well, sugar is also demonized and that maybe it was the PUFAs, right? And so, yeah, yeah I'm just curious. Your thoughts. Uh, uh, don't get me wrong. PUFAs are a bad thing. I am not yes. for a moment espousing PUFAs. I'm just rolling my eyes there because it's like everyone knows absolutely what the answer is here, don't they? And, you know, everyone's an expert on what the actual problem is here. No, it's not sugar, it's PUFA. And uh, yeah. it's a combination of things that is the problem uh, with all of this. Now. The, the the one you're talking about there with the with the insulin axis there yes absolutely the um, the low carbohydrate diet will lead to typically less insulin spikes typical reduction in insulin release over to any given 24 hour period and therefore over periods of time if you like sure absolutely what that doesn't tell us is what happens to insulin sensitivity in response to that reduction in insulin production. So to merely say, or for that that individual, let's, let's call him by his name, Paul. For Paul to say that that is a problem just because an association has been made in a loosely controlled study somewhere that suggests if you eat a low-carbohydrate diet, your insulin will be lower. And the problem with that is that, therefore, it has an effect on your kidneys which means that you are unable to correctly filter the right onions in and out of your urine, and so you're going to lose all your salts because you don't need what he What he's saying there is insulin is vital for you to retain salt. Okay. To which there are two answers. One, meat is insulinogenic. And two, gluconeogenesis. So one of the arguments they make against gluconeogenesis is that it's a very um, inefficient process. And so it's a tax on the cortisol in our endocrine system, which then again affects our thyroid. And that's why people start getting this slump in energy, eating a yeah. meat only diet long-term. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of leaps of faith there, aren't there in terms of the cause and effect relationships as traced back through by decent, well-controlled, well-designed, properly powered, properly tenured, metabolic world lock-in studies with human beings as subjects to say we have a cause and effect relationship here. It's the old ice cream sales at the beach shark attacks analogy. The end of the day, do we deal with a spate of shark attacks at the beach by closing down the ice cream sales? That'll sort it out, will it? Those things are related to each other. Sure but there is no causal artifact between them. Um, they have a shared linkage to the weather, people who tend to want to be in the water and people who tend to want to lick ice creams on hot days. Uh, and there's a lot of that between all of those steps that you just outlined in that. It's a hypothesis. And fine, there's nothing wrong with hypothesizing in science. What you then need to do, though, is backfill the hypothesis by checking every underpinning assertion that it makes with regard to what would the effect of variable X on variable Y be given this overarching model. And then you test that scientifically and publish those results and say, make a judgment call. Yes, this relationship is borne out or no, it isn't. That's what's missing in nutrition science. There isn't any of it. There is epidemiology. There is um, prospective cohort studies. There is this, pseudoscientific mishmash thing they call Mendelian randomization, 
which if you wanted to get into a talk about pseudoscience one day, that, whoo, that one's fun. Um, yeah. Anyway, I should stop waffling. I agree with that. It's um, it's hard to get proper studies because it's considered unethical, right? So that's where nutritional science gets really hard. And then the trend I see with all of these advocates that are saying these things are that they don't work with anyone. So then they don't even have anyone else to compare to except their own N equals one. But mm. since several people out there are also agreeing with them that maybe this carnivore diet is affecting women's thyroid, women's hormones, or other people's hormones. I mean, one of those advocates told me that I was hypothyroid because I shared my thyroid panel. I'm not though. It's just, it's this little bit of underlying fear mongering that's going on with it. And that's where I don't, I'm not okay with. And just to make clear, it wasn't Paul that said that to me, it was somebody else, but it's this you have to eat sugar now, otherwise you're going to ruin your health. And yeah. if you eat carnivore long-term, look at all mm. the long-term carnivores, they look sick. And yeah. it's just this constant fear-mongering. Do you think there's any merit to what they're saying with um, how a low-carb diet can adversely affect your thyroid? Yep. Yep. So there is a relationship noted, a coincidental relationship noted, has been noted, published in the literature. It says consume a diet which is poor in carbohydrates that will discourage the production of the thyroid hormones. To which we then immediately jump to the conclusion, therefore, the low-carb diet is bad. Right. Without looking at the whole equation as I just did before and go, okay, but what happens to the sensitivity to those thyroid hormones in parallel with the change to a diet, which is poor in carbohydrates? Sure. And the answer is it goes up. The sensitivity goes way up. So is it therefore still a viable possibility that both events are indicated and part of the great biological plan and of no concern actually? to which the answer I would suspect looks like, yeah. You need If you want to diagnose someone as being hyperthyroid, you're going to need some thyroid panels, sure. including free and unfree, you know, the whole, it all broken down. But you're also going to need symptomology. If, you know, it's like if you don't have any of the symptoms of, of hyperthyroidism and just looking at you, Judy, I would say not a problem for you at all you look fine healthy and fit and vibrant to me thank you why why were you even throwing this up? people want to be the worried well don't they they, they want to be concerned about something all the time then the, the, you know there's a there's a real need out there to overcomplicate everything i think i don't know so then why do you think some people do feel low energy because i do get that i do get that some people say my energy, initially I felt really good eating meat-based and now I feel tired. My energy wasn't the same or isn't the same. And mm. sometimes I don't sleep as well through the night. And and then they eat some of the carbs and they're like, okay, this is actually making me feel more energy. But obviously sugar does that to you. But I mean, why do you think some people, their energy starts dwindling on a low-carb diet? Yep. For me... It's not always the answer. And again, generalized discussions, so generalized themes, these may not apply to you as an individual listener or whatever. But typically, 
a person who decides I'm going to do, I'm going to do this carnival diet. This sounds great. This is for me. I'm going to eat nothing but meat and animal fat. Yeehaw. And I'm starting tomorrow. And that's what they do. And they drop all the vegetables, all the grains, all the fibers, all the sugars, all the processed foods, all the nonsense they've been eating all at once Mm -hmm. overnight. And suddenly they're a carnivore now. And within five minutes, they're going to feel the bestest. Well, that person's system is geared up for the nonsense. It's geared up to deal with the abuse that it's been suffering. It has a microbiome informed by that intake of food. And if you suddenly change the rules in such a massive way in your body by changing your diet overnight, you're asking for a problem of dysbiosis. You're asking for all the sequelae, which we can trace back to dysbiosis in the human body. And there are a myriad of conditions involved there. Almost anything you could name that goes wrong with the human body, you can trace to a problem in that person's gut. Oh, yeah. um, if, you, if you know enough about it, which we don't, but we can say, look, this is what we're finding, all of that. So do you think that people can do carnivore long-term or would you recommend it? Um, yes, to both. I mean, I do. That's what my channel is is largely all about. It's recommending people give this a sensible try, that by which I mean, you know, do a proper transition. Don't just go carnivore overnight. Get some advice on how to do that from myself or someone else like me who's, you know, knows about this, has done this, etc. Stick around the channel, learn what you can, have a laugh while you're here. That not only, not only is it possible for people to do well long-term carnivore, but people are doing so. Yeah, We can point to a, a number of real-life examples. Sean Baker, you know, there are others. For balance, other names are available. Yeah, so people are doing it. How long have you been eating? Um, do you eat meat only or are you, do you eat a little bit of plants? Yeah, I, I'm a drifter. Um, I've always claimed to have been a bit of a drifter. I drift between my usual standard everyday fare, which is probably 95 upwards percent carnivore. Okay. I've done one month of 100% carnivore once for a challenge online for a series of videos. That was great. Um, And I got some really good benefit from doing that. From 95 to 100, you think there's only 5% left to go? No, there's a long way between the health status of someone who's 95% um, carnivore and someone who goes the whole hog and gets all of it out, by the way. And at my worst, I can be around 80%, but that doesn't last more than a day or two because every time I do that, there are serious consequences for me. So it's just like, oh, I, I just can't do this. When I was younger, I used to get away with it. Not so much now. So um, I'm probably more carnivorous now than at any time previously. And so the total time that I've been floating around and doing that is about five years, oh, wow. five and a half years. Yeah, okay. something like that. And I was ketogenic devotee for 25 years before that so oh, wow. okay. well well before it was even thought of or trendy or cool it was something i was learning about when i was doing my undergraduate degree and so i got involved in it right back then um so yeah do you think on a carnivore diet that it is important to be producing ketones yes and no 
I think there is an obsession with ketones, especially by one particular sect of people, the ketogenic people, who for some reason have got it into their heads that the goal of a ketogenic lifestyle is to produce ketones. No, that's not the goal of it. The goal usually of a ketogenic diet, if it's not for intractable seizures in children, it's usually for weight loss. People go, oh, this is a way to get some fat off your body. Um, ketogenesis is great for fat loss. Get into it, they say. And that is the goal. Not the maintenance of some magic ingredient, the ketone. Um, ketones are just a means by which the body can quickly shuttle energy from place to place, from tissue to tissue, from organ to organ, the entire length of the body very rapidly in the blood. That's all they are. They're not magical. They are not the goal of a ketogenic diet. They are a consequence of a ketogenic lifestyle properly designed and properly executed. So the, the whole question, will this kick me out of ketosis? Wrong question. Right. Who cares? You know, what will this do to my ketones? Why do I wake up in the morning and I don't have any ketones? Goodness, why isn't the ketogenic diet working? These kind of questions. Well, any of you who are focused on ketones as your measurement of success are once again forgetting the other side of the picture. That being that the difference in the amount of energy you are spending at any given time can draw that pool of ketones out of your blood. Right. Doesn't just because you have a low blood ketone or a low urine ketone level doesn't mean that your level of ketogenic production is also low because it might have been maximal, but you've used that energy exercising, for example. So you need to look at the whole picture. Um, and actually, at the end of the day, if you've been doing a ketogenic diet for five years, you'd want to say, yes, and in five years, I've lost this not this much weight. Not, and in five years, look at my ketone chart and see how much ketones I've been producing, because that wasn't what you were after, if you get my meaning. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, ketones in your blood are the amounts that are not necessarily used. So it's not a good indicator of how much your body is actually using. Um, but mm. What about blood sugar, though? Because sometimes I have my clients check their blood sugar in the morning and even ketones just if their energy is low. If they're not low, I don't even have them waste their time on it. But mm -hmm. if their blood sugar is really high in the morning, it might be a sign that they're maybe eating too much protein versus fat. I don't know what your thoughts are on this, um, but I'm curious. It is possible. And again, we need to be very careful to make assertions about a given individual's status on the basis of um, having a look at that person, talking to that person, Having a look at some of the levels, it's very much a diagnostic thing because there are a lot Fair of enough. different things that play into all of it. So again, generalized statement, if you're saying that there is a propensity for some carnivore people to wake up with more glucose than, I don't know, omnivores, I guess, is that a problem? The answer is still no, it's not. It's not a problem. The morning phenomenon is a normal thing. Um your body tends to dump as much sugar as it needs to into your bloodstream in the morning based on typically what is likely that you're going to do within 20, 30 minutes of those first rays of the sun hitting your body, basically, because that's what sets it off. It's quite a, um, quite a technical 
interplay between light and circadian rhythm and all of that kind of stuff. Very, a very interesting area of, um, of study to get into. Not something we know enough about really to, to make clear statements on in terms of cause and effect of things though. Okay. So just summarizing a little bit of what we talked about, I'm hearing that some of the people that were leaner, that were working out hard, that maybe blamed the not enough carbohydrates for their thyroid health, not mm. eating enough fat, that maybe they're, they just had a hankering for sugar. Um, maybe it was that they weren't eating enough fat, but their, I guess, decision tree possibly came out to the wrong decision and it's not necessarily the root cause issue. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Okay. And also there are, there are tricks that the microbiome um, is able to play on, on the host human. These guys that live in our guts are so clever that they know which Levers nervous to pull, to pull inside, inside the gut to actually affect the way the person is thinking, to actually teach or, or get that person's brain to crave sugar. I am a sugar-loving bacteria. This person hasn't been feeding us sugar. We're not doing well here. Let's pull this lever. And they can actually make you do all sorts of things, mind wounds or something. It's incredible. The mm. only thing that bothers me about it is that if a, you know, like the average person I work with is a lady, maybe in their fifties or sixties and, you know, their health is declining. And so they finally try carnivore as a one last ditch effort because standard care is not helping. And then they hear these advocates that say, you need honey for your thyroid because you're hypothyroid, right? A lot of these mm. people have hypothyroid Hashimoto's. And so then they start getting scared of, are you sure it's okay that I eat only meat because so-and-so is saying that I need sugar for my thyroid health and I'm mm. already hypothyroid and I already have low energy and now I'm getting scared. And so the day that they convert to carnivore and they have lower energy, then that, you know, that little voice in them saying, see, you need sugar. Mm. And that's the part where it's such a diet that you can follow and actually heal from and reverse a lot of things that have happened in your life from poor diets. But now people are taking it off the table as an option of healing. And that's the part where I get so sad because mm. that's how I healed a lot of my mental health issues. Yeah. There are those out there who want us to believe one way or another way about nutrition, human health, as that relates to nutrition, culture, ethics, the whole wider issue surrounding all of that. It is a theological divide. It has become more and more so um, with every passing year, I think. And especially now that society is being probably with malice of forethought molded to turn in on itself and turn against itself with all sorts of propaganda. That's probably right in line with the way they're thinking about how to get us thinking. Um, you know, let's, let's start a theological battle between two ends of one bell curve in terms of human nutrition, the carnivores and the vegans, for example, sure. and let them fight it out in the middle. Um, I think it's brilliant by way of distracting people from the actual issue. the actual issue, what is actually likely to be objectively correct. What where the science such that it is, where does it point us? What does it tell us? And the fact that you've got all these voices saying 
not only different things, but completely contradictory things to one another. It's part of the issue. It's part of the problem, I think, that there is just so much noise out there that's not underpinned by a decent grounding in science, I guess. Mm. So where where do you fall in terms of the science, your, you know, your coaching, your own experience? Is there an ideal in terms of how much meat someone should eat, how slow they should progress into carnivore and the macros? I mean, what are your recommended yeah. macros on a carnivore diet? Right. Yeah. Okay. So yes, I do advocate for carnivorous lifestyles for people, all people. I, I'm yet, I'm met, yet to meet a human being who is so physiologically different from myself that it won't work for them at all. Um, we are all the same species after all. We are all wired the same way pretty much within, you know, functional working constraints. So, yeah, I do advocate for that. Macros-wise is a bit individual in terms of what works N equals one for, for a person. That's best established in the first year or so through experimentation. Rule of thumb, a starting point for me, as I usually say to people, you should have an amount of protein on your plate equal to 1.5 grams per kilogram of lean body mass per day. And once you've got that together and know what that is, you should have around that half that volume of fat as well, i.e. about the same number of I'm not even going to say the C word that describes energy and food. I'm just going to call it the energy and food. So, yeah, so you've got basically 50-50 in terms of energy there, and then you you would adjust from there, always in the direction of more fat, it turns out, usually. Um, the, usually the 50% starting place is a tolerable place to start, but not a place to finish for most people. And um, the design is that you get the vast majority of your energy from fats, because also the design is that the vast majority of the protein that you consume should be used for making proteins, not yeah. for oxidizing to, to release ATP. So um, that's, that's how all of that works. I, it seems to go together that way. And yeah. And then just over a couple of years dial in um, often there are issues if people are not progressing slowly. I generally have people look at, at least a six-week transition in terms of changing your diet across the actual metabolic adaptation period for a full metabolic adaptation, I think, to a fully carnivore diet seems to me to be around about 20 plus or minus six weeks. A long time that you don't just change your metabolism over sweet, no problem. It needs to adjust. A lot. I feel that a lot of people start working with me at least six months into the diet where maybe they weren't eating. And a lot of the women I work with, they're not eating enough. And for the men, they're eating a lot more protein that are, that's much leaner. And so they're not getting enough of the fat. And so oftentimes if you add the fat, then they feel better, they'll sleep better through the night, but then they have to work on the gut because then they start having loose stools because they can't tolerate the higher fat. And so it's the conundrum. But oftentimes then some people will say, well, then I'll just add carbs and the carbs will stop the loose stools. No. Yeah. But then as soon as you do that, you're activating the Randall cycle and that's going to lead you to problems. So what is that exactly? 
So the Randall cycle is a little bit of machinery that exists in your metabolic pathway that says if you have an overplus of fat in a cell, that fat will lock out sugar for entry into the mitochondria. And thus that fat, which is pooling, will be used first. At the same time, if there is an overplus of sugar in the cell trying to enter the mitochondria, it will lock out the fat. So you've got things basically locking each other out, so nothing gets in. So then what happens is the cellular redox state of the cell has to drop necessarily because now the energy provision dips below the energy utilization, despite there being pools of energy struggling for entry. Sure. And if you reduce the redox state of the cell, that necessarily means there's an increase in the cytosolic concentration of inorganic phosphate ions, HPO for negative charge. Um, and those tend to directly activate pro-inflammatory cytokines mm. and also directly activate other metabolic enzymes involved in the storage of fat. In other words, turning off the usage of fat which leads to chronic insulin insensitivity, type 2 diabetes, obesity, heart disease, strokes, many forms of cancer, most forms of dementia, etc. So the whole thing with diet is if you're on the carnivore end and you eat no carbs ever to speak of, you're kind of safe from the Randall cycle. If you're a vegan and you eat nothing but grass, sorry, vegans, Plant material, fibrous plant material, poisonous, toxic, anti-nutrient laden, pro-inflammatory material, like if that's what you do, cool, you're safe from the Randall cycle too. However, in five to seven years, your health will fall to bits because of the nutrient deficiencies over here. These guys are still going strong. That's the difference. Sure. That's how I've kind of, that's how I lay my cart out in terms of there's what the you know we don't have good science here but we do have some pretty good pretty good anecdotes yeah. yeah what's interesting is you're talking about um some of the pairing of foods and i remember in school we in our nutritional therapy school they would talk about how they said certain macros would get absorbed first and so mm. if you want to play that digestion card you want to maybe it might have been eat the meat first and then the fat and i, I forget exactly but Okay. Lately, mm. what I've been hearing is that there's a group of people that say you should eat meat with carbohydrates because then it can slow down some of the glucose um, absorption. And then they're also saying fat. And it's like the opposite of what I've learned, right? It's the pairing of glucose with fat that's so mm. not ideal, like what you just talked about. So is and why, why would you want to add carbohydrates with your meat? I don't know. I mean, that's what that's what this, you know, these people are advocating for and but I mean, it, it's it's weird because still after all of this and after all the discussion all the argumentation after all the point and counterpoint i can still go to any metabolic textbook in existence ever written and look up what the exact dietary requirement for carbohydrates is for human beings on a daily basis the answer is not one gram ever right none yes no, and, I, and I'm in full agreement, but they'll say, well, you know, the brain and certain parts of the body need glucose and yes, you can neogenesis. Right. But then they say, but that's a not ideal process for your 
endocrine system. And so the natural state your like brain needs is sugar. And so why don't you feel it with some of that? Right. So that comes from an argument, an argument standpoint, goodness, where you're suggesting that moving away from the natural state in a time of stress is in and of itself a contraindicated thing that you should never ever be stressed. If that were the case, then you can stop exercising because that's a stress. So if stress is inherently bad and should never be experienced, then stop exercising. Yeah. And I think they argue that um, exercise is a momentary stress and then the net net is a positive gain. Whereas Mm -hmm. eating a ketogenic diet long-term is not a net positive. And So the thing is, my only concern again, is that I see a ton of people eat their steaks or their, you know, their carnivorous plus an abundance of fruit. Mm. And I don't even know how much I'm one person recently told me that they are carnivore, but all of a sudden they um, change something in their life and now they're highly stressed. And so I asked them like, what else do you eat other than meat? And this person eats like 10 tablespoons of honey. And so the person came to me for gut healing, but when I looked at their information, it was a blood sugar dysregulation. And I don't think people understand that because other advocates are saying, no, it's good to eat meat with your fruit. Yeah. And that's, I guess, again, brings us back to the problem where there are so many people running around saying so many different things and all believing what they're saying is you know, good and full of veracity and backed by all the best science available. Um, it's a difficult one. How do we get to the truth of it all? Um, or, well, or how do you help? Channel. Or, <laughs> or right. And we'll put links to um, your channel in the show notes. But what would you recommend for people that are saying they have lower energy on carnivore? And let's say if they've done it for a while now, and I'm yep. I'm assuming they're eating meat only. Yep. Typically, when I hear that, I hear that from a carnivore that's been doing it six months is about the number where they'll start saying, you know, I actually feel like I've lost energy. I don't feel like I'm quite as sharp and all that kind of stuff. That's immediately before the point which they probably are actually going to start coming right. It's kind of the last bit of the adaptation phase. I was talking about that 20 plus or minus six weeks sort of thing. Um, and it's it's right at that point where they're most likely to actually cave in and pour some carbohydrates down the neck. The worst, because they're actually just just there on the precipice and their their metabolism was just about to make the final okay right we need to rely more on this pathway and put this one over here out of so much commission because they're not feeding me sugar i need to make it over here takes a while to get your body to do it what i usually suggest to those people is just a bit of patience here Mm. see what happens um i mean you can experiment with putting in different amounts of carbohydrate and stuff at that at that stage but really to me it's kind of undermining everything you've been doing for the six months leading up to that point right um because you're now looking for negotiating a way back in for carbs when really what we're saying is there's no place for them yeah there is no requirement for carbs in the diet that's the whole thing with gluconeogenesis it is once it's adapted fully it is a demand driven process not a supply driven process when your brain detects that you need more energy, it produces it. 
when your brain detects that your blood sugar is low because your muscles are using it or whatever, it, it sends the, the signal to upregulate that pathway and get that stabilized again. And any amount of pouring carbohydrates in with the food tends to work against that, especially if you're going to mix any amount of fat at all in that diet, which you absolutely should, because if you don't, you're going to be deficient on fat soluble things. Sure. Mm. At the end of the day, Judy, it, it, it works out to be one of these things that you really can't negotiate with. Now, I'm not going to sit here and claim to be a perfect carnivore that never puts any carbohydrates or plant material into my body. As I say, roughly 95. But I'm also not going to sit here and say there's any indication for that 5% and I would be worse off without it. I'm saying the exact opposite. I'm saying I wish I could get my discipline together to be 100% carnivore because I was so much better for the month that I did that. That's kind of where I lay out my stall on that issue. And then obviously it's it's about having access to and talking to someone who's been through it, who understands it, right. who hopefully has some training in the area. I'm available for consultancies. We'll put a link to that under, uh, underneath as well, I guess. But Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah five mm-hmm. years is a very long time. I mean, I I wrote my book in a way that I was hoping people can just try carnivore as an elimination diet. And the real reason mm. I did it that way is I knew that if I try to sell people on eat meat only for the rest of your life, people would say no. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. But, but if I can just have people taste how good life can be eating only meat, yeah. then maybe it will never just end up being an elimination diet, but maybe they'll stay because, or mm. always come back to it because they know how good they feel eating zero carbs. And so that's yeah. why I wrote it that way. And I, and I fully believe like what you're saying. Um, I think I nowadays eat more 95% as well, but I feel my best at a hundred. And if I have interviews or um, any important work to be done, I am eating meat only, but there's just a surplus of all other foods out there. Right. So even us advocating, we're saying that sometimes we let other stuff in I think the difference between us with others is that we're not saying that it's not that a carnivore diet can't work. It can absolutely work and use levers to make it better for you individually and work with a coach. And I wonder Mm. if this whole pandemic and everything that's happened, that's caused cortisol to just increase, that's causing people to eat more sugar or want more sugar because it's the flight or fight state. Yeah. I think it's quite feasible. Absolutely. We are all on edge. Um, the world is suddenly precipitously changing under our feet. Yeah. There's all sorts of craziness going on. Yep. So as we're closing, what would you say, um, you know, as a coach, how should someone get properly started and then just kind of go from there? All right. So typically if a person is coming from a standard Western standard American diet starting point, they are going to be probably consuming meat and three veg pretty much every day of the week. They are going to be consuming breakfast high in grains and sugars and probably gluten and probably dairy of a, um, of a processed nature. Yeah. All of that kind of nonsense. The first thing that I generally do is get rid of the overtly, starchy carbohydrates out of that person's diet. Anything highly processed, obviously and patently, and all oils. 
that's step one, all at once, all of those things over a two-week period, a two-week grace period, those items are weaned out of that person's diet to remain ever after no longer part of their uh, experience of the universe, supposedly. Then from there, depending on the person, how they present, you would you would take different groups of things like leafy greens out next or is it brassica that goes next or is there an obvious wheat issue in this person, in which case, you know, that goes, et cetera, et cetera. And you just steadily over in blocks of two weeks, over, as I say, six or eight weeks, so up to up to two months to really slowly change the cogs around, change not only that person's eating habits in a meaningful way, but also in a way that's slow enough that that person's body will adapt to it and you won't have this dysbiosis that can actually last for years if you get this wrong and just hammer over. You can do damage to your gut function that will come back and haunt you even years later. Um, and it's just one of those things we don't understand well enough yet to, to know exactly how that's happening, but all we know is that it is happening. That And that makes a lot of sense. I mean, a lot of people that transition to carnivore, they the number one complaint is the loose stools and all the mm. other imbalances in the gut. So it makes sense. And I've tried so many different kinds of digestive enzymes, HCL supplements, of mm. different B vitamins, and not there's no one answer for everyone. And so it makes sense what you're saying. There are no proatherogenic lipoproteins. They do not exist. This is a concept. It's it's a model that we've been put in front of us. It's propaganda designed to make us fear a protein which is generated by our own bodies according to the instructions of a length of DNA which has survived 4,000 million years in our, in our genetic sequence that knows when to turn on and when to turn off. It knows what it's doing. It's been doing it for a very long time. And we're now telling ourselves to be afraid of that. It's just, it's just nuts. It's, it's ridiculous. Let's not overcomplicate this. Let's make it simple. The simple take-home message is eat meat, drink water, add salt if you like, rest and repeat. Uh, and if you want to throw some exercise in too, great, but make it high intensity and not long-lasting. Don't go doing any cardio. Just to be specific, um, when you mm. say long-lasting, how often in a week and then how oh, look you know exercise of any kind <laughs> I, I usually say to people half an hour okay three times a week okay that's enough if you're doing more than three times a week more than half an hour of that kind of exercise unless you are an athlete a serious athlete with a real chance of success in athletics actually probably you're wasting a lot of that time probably most of it's actually working against you your health your long-term prospects it's an illness. Sorry. It's something that you and I probably need to talk about too okay. much exercise. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm on the same page. I love it. So where can people find you and your channel and um, about your coaching? Right. Okay. So um, my channel is uh, that one there. If you, if you do a search for Bart K and or nutrition science watchdog, the first five pages of results is me. You, you can't not find me. Um, it's a very, very fine YouTube channel. As I say, mostly on that channel are my critiques of others. Uh, 
And I do tend to use, shall we say, very colourful language from time to time. So just fair warning, so you know, I've been on my best behaviour since I've been visiting Judy's channel. I, I, I totally say, agree. <laughs> I say naughty words over there on my channel because that's my place. Um, so just be aware I do tend to do that. Uh, it's only for theatrical impact, of course. It's to make a point very strongly at a given time. Um my mother always told me, if you must swear, make sure you pronounce it properly and do it well and make sure that it has an impact. So hopefully it does. Um, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. You can usually find me by name there. Um, Coaching-wise, if you go to bit.ly forward slash Bart hyphen K as in K-A-Y, that will take you straight to a one-stop shop where you can buy merchandise, booking for nutrition counselling of some kind or health counselling or exercise counselling, whatever it is you're after. You can join my channel as a patron there for a monthly subscription. That gets you access to a few more scientifically less overtly um, entertaining type videos that I do normally. That's for those that want to get into the nuts and bolts and learn something for real. Um, so you can do that there as well. Yeah. And thank you. I mean, I've watched several of your videos and there is a comedic spin and I think it's good. It's entertaining, but you're really getting to the point of this stuff is nonsense and you don't need to focus on that. And it's really simple in that sense. Right. Um, and so I think we need people like you in the space to just, I guess, clear some of the noise. So thank you. My pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for giving me the um, opportunity to talk to your people, many of whom probably are not already subscribers of mine until right now, when you go across immediately to sub to my channel and hit the bell icon so that you can be completely not advised by YouTube when I put out material because they <laughs> don't. <laughs> well, thank you so much. And thank you for this fun talk. All right. Pleasure. Okay, guys, I hope that this conversation was helpful. I hope it's a resource. If you've never heard of Barkey, I hope that it's a resource that you can turn to for some of these hot topics and questions that you may have about the community and about just nutrition and physiology and wellness and exercise and just about everything that Bart K covers. Make sure to check out his channel. And I hope that this conversation, again, gives you another lover that you can pull to get back to better health. All right, guys, I will talk to you soon. Make sure to eat a lot of meat. Take care of your bodies because it is the only place you have to live. I will talk to you guys later. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening to the Nutrition with Judy podcast. If you liked what you heard today, please make sure to leave a five-star review on your favorite podcast app so more listeners like you can find the show. If you want more practitioner care and support, head over to nutritionwithjudy.com groups so you can get more real talk about carnivore, the environment, and root cause healing. You can also find my content on Nutrition with Judy's YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Make sure to sign up for my weekly newsletter and learn more about in-depth articles with infographics at nutritionwithjudy.com articles. You can find my two books, Carnivore Cure and The Complete Carnivore Diet for Beginners on carnivorecure.com and amazon.com. At the heart of Nutrition with Judy's practice, our mission lies with a deep, unwavering passion for service and community. We will continue to empower you to have the knowledge and tools to live a life nearly symptom-free because we firmly believe in healing and wellness for all.